Welcome to the Clay Young Show. How about you? Welcome back to another edition of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 1073 mobile app. Seated comfortably in the eye of the tiger chair, I am Clay Young, your host, welcoming you again. Hopefully you found us by hitting the subscribe button some time ago and you get the show every week. And if you haven't, what the hell is wrong with you? If you're an Apple user, hit the subscribe button. You can get the show right there, right? And it's free, all this great content. I mean, you political candidates, business leaders, community leaders, uh, people who care about helping others. You get all of this in Louisiana for the cost of, well, nothing. I really got to think about that, you know? I'm just kidding. This week's show includes a conversation with John Cuvion, who makes his promised return to talk about the presidential politics, and it will be good. You will hear that discussion. We spoke on the day of all of the political business in New York City, and his predictions, as always, were spot on. We take you behind the curtains of what happens in campaigns. We talk a little bit about Trump. We talk a little bit about Cruz. We talk a little bit about Sanders. We talk some about Clinton. And I enjoyed it. And I think you will as well. Also in this show, a little something different. Something I have not done before, but you will get it here. The ladies of the wellness studio, Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue and soon-to-be Dr. Katie Fetzer, talk about what they do at the wellness studio and they talk about their compassion for helping people. They are two truly amazing people. And I feel that way sincerely. And you will hear them talk about why they care so much and really psychology, psychiatry, and some of what goes on with that. And I think you're going to find a lot of tidbits in that that may be useful to Many of you, hopefully all of you, we're talking with them about hosting their own show here at podcast225.com. More details about that in the future, but that's coming up first, and then you will hear from John Cuvion about some of the political stuff. John's a great guy, and he just he's so smart. He's so smart. You'll hear that as well. All right. The third annual Smoke 'em If You Got 'em fundraiser is taking place on Sunday, May 15th at Ben 77 Bistro. The bar there opens at 4 o'clock. The event begins at 5. The title sponsor is Orion Instruments, and this year's event will benefit the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, the organization named in honor of the American sniper himself. We have been uh, talking this up now. The tickets are now on sale online at chriskylefrogfoundation.org or here locally at patriotsforfreedom.us.us. Pay attention. Some of the other sponsors include Jameson Irish Whiskey. They're going to be there again this year providing libations. Don Juan Cigar Company and CLE Cigar Company. They're going to be providing custom cigars for this year's event. In addition to the Guarantee Broadcasting family of stations, my man, Gordy Rush, who is now on the advisory board for ESPN Radio. Way to go, G. Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. John Conroy, who's been on board with me on this since day one. That guy is a treasure in this town, and people ought to know it. 
and of course, Brian Dykes and his entire team at Ben 77, they're on board, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention all of my team here at Clay Young Enterprises. Our slogan is, we'll make you look good. Well, here's the truth. They make me look good. And the event, again, is Sunday, May 15th. Buy your ticket. All of the money, 100% of the $100 ticket you buy will go to the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. I started this whole thing as a way to give back to military veterans. Not trying to make money off of it. Don't need it. Knock it on my head, knock on wood. And, well, you can always use more, but in, in this instance, we want to give it all away because we want to help those who help those who defend the greatest country on the planet. Sunday, May 15th, I hope to see you there. Now, Brian Dykes and I had a conversation earlier today, and for those of you who have attended the event in the past, uh, this will be breaking news to you. He is going to open his restaurant, so in addition to... The libations provided by Jameson, and we've got something else special there for you. We are going to have a silent auction and a live auction, but you will also be able to order items from Ben 77, so you can buy some food there from Ben if you so choose to do so. That would be, I buy steaks every year from them. At the end of the night, I ended up, I end up buying multiple steaks. It's the best steak place in town, so, you know. Uh, If you're going to get a steak, you might as well get it where they make them the best. And they make them the best at Ben 77 Bistro here in Baton Rouge. So I hope to see you all there. Now, here in Baton Rouge, there was an incident over the weekend as I sit and talk with you this past weekend at an Earth Day festival that was going on in downtown Baton Rouge involving a police officer and a 16-year-old kid. I don't know all the details. The police chief here is a friend of mine. He's a good, good guy. I don't know this young man who was involved in this. But I will say, in my opinion, just one guy, and you may think I am either an a-hole or totally off in saying this. But I'm going to say it anyway. You're listening to me. I think it is hard to get to the bottom of controversial incidents in society If we begin the dialogue, throwing bombs at one another. Police officers defend communities. Police departments, law enforcement organizations are not perfect. Church isn't perfect. Politics isn't perfect. Having said that, the community is not perfect. So I don't know all of what went on there. I'm going to wait and let all this stuff play out before I say anything. But what I will say is we've got to get to a place in society where we don't have to grandstand on one side or the other. And we do what good parents do. We get the entire story before we render judgment. I could say a lot more, but I I just I'm just going to resist that and hold off. But it brought to mind something I played years ago when I was doing radio here in town. I was on a talk, a talk station. But I saw this video. Most of you know the song. You know the song, What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong, don't you? Of course you do. You've heard it. Well, there is a different version of that song. 
and it is a little up-tempo. But before the song plays, there is a monologue by Pops, Satchmo, in my opinion, one of the greatest musicians to have ever lived. And he talks about the way people treat one another, and he has what he considers the solution to what is ailing society. It's salient. Some of you may be cynical and think it's ridiculous or it's too simplistic, but I just think sometimes you just have to listen to the elders. So we're going to hear from the ladies from the wellness studio on the other side of the break, but right now we're going to hear from one of the greatest of all times, Pops. Some of you young folks been saying to me, Hey, Pops, what you mean, what a wonderful world? How about all them walls all over the place? You call them wonderful? And how about hunger and pollution? They ain't so wonderful either. But how about listening to old Pops for a minute? Seems to me it ain't the world that's so bad. But what we are doing to it, and all I'm saying is see what a wonderful world it would be if only we'd give it a chance. Love, baby, love. That's the secret. Yeah. If lots more of us loved each other, we'd solve lots more problems. And man, this world would be a desert. That's why old Pops keeps saying, I see trees of green. So good. Red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white. The bright blessed days, dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do They're really saying I love you I hear babies cry more than I'll ever know and I think to myself what a wonderful world yes I think to myself what a wonderful world I don't care who you if you don't like that, something's wrong with you. Ooh, yeah. 
The phenomenal ladies of the wellness studio are up next. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Welcome back. Okay, here is a sneak peek on something coming to a podcast device near you. It is the ladies of the wellness studio. Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez and Katie Fetzer, I give you the waiting room. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our inaugural session of the waiting room. My name is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodriguez, and with me is... Katie Fetzer. And together we own the Wellness Studio, which is a mental health private practice um, located here in Baton Rouge. But uh, we often find ourselves contemplating and wondering about mental health in a global scale and how it affects everyone in our community. So we thought a great way to bring mental health knowledge and education to you in an easy and accessible way would be a podcast. So welcome everyone. Please uh, Please listen carefully because the the topics we're going to talk about, um, we hope, is something that maybe affects you or someone you love. So there might be some good information here that you can pass on and maybe help someone that you know today. Yeah, and just to kind of jump back off of what you're saying, um, we are really what the wellness studio is really trying to do is change the way that people are talking and feeling about mental health therapy. There is such a strong stigma that still exists to mental health, and it's something that our offices, um, our counselors that work with us, and both Dr. Rodriguez and myself are actively trying to break through that stigma, whether it's through our office aesthetics and how we're talking to people when we're talking about mental health. Those are different things that we're trying to do. Yeah. Mary, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think we can't really talk about uh the destigmatization of mental health without talking about the wellness studio. So since this is our first podcast, we're going to give you a little backstory of how we got to these microphones and talking to you today. So the wellness studio started in 2012 with an idea that um, we felt that people that are coming in for counseling and for mental, mental health therapy often are coming with a bag of, of stigmas and ideas that maybe they've gotten from people that they know, from movies, from from just the way that mental health is perceived. And so we thought, why not play on all of the senses, not just uh, talk therapy, but also visuals. So uh, the way that it looks, the way that it sounds, the way that it smells was all very uh, important and curated in a very specific way. So each object that is uh, located in the wellness studio, it's very artistic in nature. However, it's very purposeful. They're all made from repurposed materials that it was something that people threw away. They found no longer beautiful or functional. And with uh, a little TLC and with some some purposeful uh action, we recreated them into something more beautiful and more functional than when they started. For example, uh, an old Vespa welcomes you as our front desk. Um, (laughs) So there's definitely uh, something that we thought would be a way to invite anyone in that's Mm -hmm. searching for Mm -hmm. um, just help. 
Yeah, and even just talking about it doesn't do it justice. Um, I hope that whoever's listening can take the time to go check out some pictures of our offices on our website, um, which we'll give you more information on later, but I can also mention it's now. It's www.surprisinglywell.com, and we have some wonderful pictures up there um, just so that you can kind of see a visual of what Dr. Roderick was just describing. Um, we collaborated with you know, various local artists, but in particular, um, not, you know, interior design experts. And so we, we jumped out of our trade to be able to collaborate and assimilated a really good team to create this atmosphere that would hopefully, that our intention was to speak to people in a very comforting and inviting way. Um, you know, it's definitely no secret. I think Mary Catherine, you'll agree with me, but there's tends to be a sterile environment for a medicinal feel to a lot of health practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we kind of hope to be the opposite of that, which is more homey, comfortable and inviting. Yeah. And I think too, um, the, the spirit of the wellness studio was also born, um, from Katie and I, and I think what's what's really relatable, and I hope that anyone listening can relate to this, we were both at points where we felt almost stagnant in our careers and in our passion. And uh, I speak very strongly about passion because I feel as though everyone needs one, whether it's mm-hmm. whether it's uh, music or art or finger painting or gardening or journaling, writing, or if it's your family. I think passion is what drives us. And so whenever you feel that that little ingling in your life where you're like, something's not adding up or I just don't feel as motivated as I once was. I think it's about looking within yourself as to what about your well-being is not being attended to. And that's what I think mental health therapy is the great component mm-hmm. into awakening something within yeah, yourself. Yeah, people don't, I think, I think that, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's something that people don't necessarily equate to quote unquote, psychotherapy or mental health treatment. I think a lot of times, you know, the general public usually will think when you say the word mental health, the first thing that might come to mind is mental illness or very debilitating conditions. Um, And I think what, what I hope that people can hear from listening to us as we talk about what counseling is and isn't, um, is that counseling is based off of the wellness model. And it's, not necessarily just looking at biology and saying this is wrong with you. It's more Mm -hmm. about, it's very strength-based. And so it's more about taking a holistic approach at somebody and their life and empowering them to reach the insights that they need to, to grow, to change. And that in and of itself is a huge outlet to be able to connect people to what might be their, their passion. Yeah. And I think, and I think a great way to, to start looking at this is to separate medical model from wellness model. Mm-hmm. Cause I think people think mental health care or mental health therapy is automatically going to look at this from the same perspective as your family or, or general practitioner, mm-hmm. um, where it's, it's not, it's housed within the wellness model, which is a component has, has different components that I think we all can relate to when one is kind of out of sync. 
Um, for example, your spiritual well-being, your family well-being, your emotional mm-hmm. well-being, your educational well-being. It's it's something that I think everybody needs to be able to take a step back and look at. And a counselor is going to do that from this 10,000-foot view to mm-hmm. help you realize, okay, this is where you need to put some area of focus and some self-care mm-hmm. because this is why maybe you're not feeling as connected with your spouse or as satisfied in your job. Mm-hmm. I always like to tell my clients that, um, and I think I've told you this before, but I call it the bird's eye view. And I like to be able to explain it to him in that way because whenever you are kind of in the details of your own life, it's hard to be able to see from all angles. And when, especially whenever we reach a roadblock um, in life or or a hurdle, it's sometimes hard to be able to see the different ways around or ways out or the solutions. And so as counselors, we have the ability to be able to, take this bird's eye view and help you navigate things a little bit better. Right. Um, and it's empowering. So it's something that we, we won't necessarily do for you. Um, it's not, it's different than telling you what to do or giving advice. It's much different than what like a friend might do. If you were to ask them, what do I do about this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of counseling kind of holds up a mirror for you, for you to see a, a truer reflection of, Maybe things that you were were not maybe seeing, some blind spots, uh, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. And if I I think everybody can relate to the moment when you have um, somebody very close to you, whether it's a a parent or a spouse or a child or a friend, and they they tell you an observation they've noticed about you, whether Mm -hmm. it's 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 a positive or a negative one. And we always feel a little taken aback, like they noticed that. I didn't know that they Mm -hmm. noticed that. And so Mm -hmm. I think um, just that's just a small snapshot of what counselors are trained to do to Mm -hmm. help people see that. And and when you mention hurdles and setbacks, I think it's extremely important um, to to understand that everything is all purposeful. And so um, when you know, there's a big difference between sympathy and, and empathy. And Brene Brown actually illustrated this quite mm-hmm. uh, quite well um, in a little segment that's on YouTube. But when we're with family and friends, most of the time we're going to be met with sympathy. That's not saying that those people cannot be also empathetic, but by nature you want to make someone kind of uh, immediately feel better, that instant gratification of let me fix your problem. Mm-hmm. Whereas counselors are trained to operate from a source of empathy, which mm-hmm. is not to necessarily say, oh, yes, I understand, but it's they can tap into their own source of having, you know, experiences with pain or or anxiety or whatever it is and relate to you by not necessarily Mm -hmm. sharing their experience but just being able to go to that level to therefore operate um Mm -hmm. operate their their skill set yeah and I think I think that's a really good point and I think counselors do convey empathy by saying I understand and I can understand what you're saying and how you're feeling instead of being sympathetic and maybe saying thing or trying to point out like a silver lining or a mm-hmm. force, mm-hmm. force optimism, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right. Right. Um, because we know that it's not necessarily always realistic or possible to just quote unquote, get over things or, exactly. or make yeah. it or, your, yeah. or avoid your feelings or to try to cover them up or suppress them. It's better sometimes to be able to validate for that person and let them know that you've, you understand and you're there for them. 
right. as they're feeling that. Right. And and you're not just being that cheerleader friend that we all have, that we, we love mm-hmm. them for it. But, you know, when you're when you're having it's different. Yeah. yeah you're having yeah. a moment and you need someone to really empathize with you. And they just say, let's go get cupcakes. It's like, that's great. But that's not, you know, that's not necessarily being able to really look at oneself mm-hmm. and, and change behavior. Right. And, and I, I like that you said it that way because both are very important. Yeah. It, you yeah. know, it's great to have friends that will do those things like let's go get, you know, cupcakes or go, um, do something fine. Right. That's very important as well. Um, but I like that you mentioned the difference because counseling is a lot different than just talking to a friend. Um, it's, it's much more, um, I would say hopefully (laughs) much more eye opening, um, much more cathartic. Yeah. Um, and those are all things that we hope that, and that we see most people achieve when they come to us in counseling. Um, I know that I can speak for my own clientele, but I, I've talked to Dr. Rydrick as well about hers and it's something that we see consistently is people kind of saying, man, I didn't know counseling was going to be this way, or I didn't know it was going to be. Um, this helpful because they have these maybe preconceived notions before they come in the door. Exactly. And one of the coolest things that um, I'm sure that you you've obviously observed too is, is noticing people's body language and their nonverbals when they come in for their initial session, especially if they've never been in counseling before and they're much more um, close to the chest and and maybe sitting with their legs. Nervous. Right. And it's by the end you can just see that they're, they're just so much more relaxed Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, I always share this, that it was feedback that I received once that always I kept uh, near to my heart was, you know, someone said, I I didn't know what to expect. And Mm -hmm. I know that you weren't going to just sprinkle fairy dust on me and I was going to walk out of here with no, no problems or concerns anymore. But I feel I walked out of here and I felt just a little bit lighter. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed to move on within my day or my week. And so um, I I think that that's a a pretty powerful thing. statement because that's what I think it can offer you a little bit of lightness to where you therefore can tackle and have that self-empowerment uh to to take on what it is going on in your own life Mm -hmm. yeah and completely take control themselves you know I think um something I, I always like people to understand about counseling as well is that it the fact that it's empowering what that means is that we want you to be um able to understand that you are the expert on yourself yeah you understand and know and are in touch with your thoughts more than anyone right um unless you verbalize or choose to share those things with people um really you might be the only one that can truly understand what it is exactly that you are thinking and feeling and counseling is a a vessel to be able to kind of help you use to connect with solutions and or other things that might need to happen in order for you to live a more fulfilling life. Right. And for those of you listening, if some of the things that we're talking about is getting kind of the juices flowing within your own brain and you're, you're seeing how this can possibly be beneficial for you. I want to go back to purpose and what we were talking about, uh, earlier because, uh, part of the waiting room, uh, our, our mission for that is to not only connect you uh, with mental health, infor- mental health information and resources, but also um, to show you how it connects within every facet of life. It's not just, you know, uh, the, the, the themes and the, the, the things that we're discussing aren't just housed within a mental health umbrella, but it can trickle into um, just different disciplines, whether it's art or music um, or politics or education. And so we'd like to invite on guests that will be able to shed some light on how mental health connects within their fields and how, Mm -hmm. um, you may feel so, so far removed from, uh, 
psychology or, um, you know, the, the emotional side of life, but yet mm-hmm. you, you may be so close to it. And that's that, that thing that we were talking about, that inkling that that's inside of you that you may need to put some more attention on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of reminds me, uh, of how the waiting room all got started. Um, we, Mary Catherine and I were in our waiting room and one of our colleagues that was, you know, at the office mm-hmm. was listening to us talk. And it's sometimes that we just, those times that we have between clients or um, the time that we have to kind of wind down and maybe just take a minute or take a break. Dr. Roger and I are talking all things pop culture to mm-hmm. politics and how mental health is a component in all of that. Um, and we kind of started to realize that, and we're told by outsiders that this is valuable information that is worth sharing. Yeah. So we would love to just see people's feedback and yeah. And also I think people think sometimes the counselor is the untouchable. That's not affected by all of these elements that are in our, our society and social media. And we are. And so we like to be able to have that conversation on a broader scale to involve you, the listener or guests that we can bring on this show. Um, because I think it helps us with identity development and our own personal growth. Um, again, back to purpose, I think when we're searching for what that is, we've all had those moments where life is stressful and hard and, and we feel like we can't, um, we, we define having a break as this tropical vacation and, and it's not, it's self-care and it's about how to do that effectively mm-hmm. throughout your day and, and incorporate in that into your life that it just becomes the power of a habit and it's mm-hmm. not something we're constantly chasing and feel like we can't feel relief from our stress unless mm-hmm. we're in a, a very specific subset of of um particulars and that's that's just really not the case mm-hmm. yeah definitely especially um there's different things that you know and I'll just share that that I might do for self-care mm-hmm. that I find to be particularly effective and you know I think in, in American culture it's no secret that we we breed what I like to call monkey mind Um, we are a very fast paced, rushed culture, um, very agenda driven. Um, it's a lot of the times, a lot of pressure comes down on us about what to achieve and in career and all these areas. And we don't necessarily, um, take time to take a break or whatever we need to do to be able to come back within ourselves and reconnect with ourselves. Um, and whenever I had the opportunity to travel to Malta, which is in Europe, um, something that they do in their culture is, and, and a lot of cultures over there, is midday siestas, you know, where they just kind of take that, the, the whole town shuts down. When I mean, is America going to get the siesta? They take, they take, they take their, um, their nap or their break, and it's a kind of like a spiritual um, way to be able to connect with back with themselves. And they've been they have tons of studies that have shown that this increases productivity um effectiveness um overall person like in terms of the person um can have a positive impact on one's mood um, one's overall well-being so all of of the the research that is shown there i'm hoping that more people will start realizing the importance of it um and for me myself personally i meditate and so that's something that i find to be particularly effective and kind of coming back within myself so I'm not so yeah yeah 
Yeah, and I'm sure people listening are like, okay, that that sounds great. How do I do that for myself? And that's when I think mental health yeah. therapy and counseling is so beneficial mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. It, it, trust me, trying to figure that out for yourself is difficult. Um, right, right. You know, there's many a times that I try to strategically plan my day that's going to involve self-care. And then the second, you know, you get a specific email or one phone call and it can completely kind of dismantle all this preparation you've done. We get it. Right. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think if that's something that maybe you're struggling with or you're, um, just maybe you're doing, but you don't, you know that it could be fine tuned. I think Mm -hmm. counseling is a great way to check in. Yeah, exactly. And these are things that, um, that you're paying for when you, when you pay for counseling, we want you to see and understand what the value is in it. And those things that Dr. Roderick were just mentioning is just that, I mean, we, we are trained on different modalities of treatment outside of what we we might be doing in order to be able to refer people to these different modalities right. if it's if it's needed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because we are practicing from the wellness model. We're looking at the, you know like Mary Catherine was saying the holistic picture. And so if it if it is something such as um, needing to talk to a physician about medication or to want to learn how to meditate, we can connect you to those things and to be able to help you. Yeah. And I want you to think of mental health as your physical health. And, you know, back in the early forties, um, you know, people would, if you were exercising or if you were jogging, people would be so confused as to where are you running from? You know, uh, why would you be outside just running down the block? And then scientists and, and medical physicians swooped in and they did research to say, you know what, physical health is, is or you're taking care of your physical health will benefit your life. And now, fast forward um, to present day, everybody does it. And if you don't do it, you feel guilty about it. And I think that mental health is, is right there on the same cusp of, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that you have to attend to when something is wrong or you feel like you need to be fixed mm-hmm. or your life is in baby shambles. It is something that you can practice and, and take care of just as you would your physical health. And I think when, when you approach it like that, mm-hmm. you will be so surprised as to how it unfolds. And, Look at your mental health journey as a journey because it's a path we're all walking down. Look, we all have the day we're born and then the day we, we die. And that's something that's completely out of our control. Mm-hmm. But through from point A to point B, we take a path. And it can be extremely winding depending on the choices that we make. Um, and so to walk down that alone often can feel really isolating and mm-hmm. very daunting. And right, and why do that when you don't have to? Exactly, exactly. And, and, and oftentimes... Um, Counseling may be that first place that you start to learn how to communicate that to your to your family and to mm-hmm. your the people in your, within your environment that may have always um, you know not necessarily responded to whatever boundaries you've set forth and maybe um, you're not understanding why and so again the counselors can help mm-hmm. you um, identify how how best to communicate with the people that are within your life or how to cope with elements of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. so I think that um, this is a brief little snapshot of what we hope the waiting room will be able to provide for you, the listener. So like I said, we are going to be having guests on to talk about different um, ways that mental health is incorporated in all elements of our, our lives and our community. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you would uh, please visit our website at www.surprisinglywell.com. Um, you can check out more about the wellness studio, about Katie and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, please feel free to shoot us an email and let us know your thoughts and feedbacks or topics you'd like to see discussed on the show. Thanks for tuning in.
How good is that? Up next, John Cuvion is here to talk politics. It's on the other side of this. Hi, I'm Taya Kyle. I'm so happy to announce that the third annual Smoke Em If You Got Em fundraiser will be benefiting the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. This year's event will take place on Sunday, May 15th at Bin 77 Bistro in Baton Rouge. It starts at 5 p.m. and the title sponsor is Orion Instruments. Tickets will be $100 and available at the door or you can buy them online at chriskylefrogfoundation.org or patriotsforfreedom.us and we'll see you at Smoke Em. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Back with John Cuvion. The last time he was here, we predicted, he predicted, uh, how some elections would turn out. And as always, he was accurate. And here we are again as we sit and record this. It is Tuesday, the day of the New York business. It's happening between the Democrats and the Republicans. And this one is pretty much chalk. We expect Donald Trump to win by what margin? We don't know. Same goes for Hillary Clinton. Uh, I guess I should say hello, John. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> how, how you doing today, Clay? <laughs> and then uh, jump right into what I said. Pretty much this one's going to go according to the way it looks. It's going to go according to the way it looks, and this is where we get to have fun and start getting into kind of the micro predictions. Okay. In other words, now we're starting to talk about the expectations game. Okay. And, of course, as with everything else with the presidential primary, I do need to divide it up into the Democratic and Republican halves. Let's do that. I'll start with the easy one, the Democratic half. That's easy? Yes. Okay. So Hillary Clinton will win. What becomes the the question, though, is to what extent she will win. I think it's going to be a victory that's not going to be as one-sided as, say, her victories in the Deep South. Okay. In other words, I'm thinking something more along the points of 5 to 10-point margin. Anything less than a 10-point Hillary Clinton margin, Bernie Sanders gets the moral victory. Okay. So that takes care of the Democratic side. Then we get to the Republican side, where there, there's no suspense about Donald Trump's victory. Every poll I've seen in the Real Clear Politics polling averages are showing him slightly above 50%. What then becomes the case is, can Trump, for the first time, get a 50-plus percent victory, number one? Number two, you have a kind of a very tough contest for second place going on between uh, Ted Cruz and John Kasich. The anti-Trump vote has not coalesced behind anybody. What makes this more complicated? And this, this is the kind of fun stuff I love to talk about and oftentimes go out on a limb for your listeners. Okay. So what I'm going to say is back when we were last here, everything was going wrong for Donald Trump that could go wrong. And yep. accordingly, he lost, a, he lost by a substantial margin in Wisconsin. And that's right. Funny what a couple weeks can do to that. Things essentially, in my opinion, have turned around for Donald Trump. That's right. And there's several things that are going on, which I can tell you before a single vote has been cast in New York. Mm -hmm. The first is Donald Trump has finally done what he should have done months ago. He's starting to get more professional staff. And And he's listening to people now. He is. And you know, the fascinating thing about Donald Trump starting to do what a CEO needs to do, which Mm -hmm. is have quality people running his campaign. Yeah. Not only, in my opinion, he has essentially sacked Corey Lewandowski. And by essentially what I mean is he's brought in somebody who has professional political experience and he's giving that somebody not only more 
of authority, but he's giving him a $20 million budget to get to the end. Mm -hmm. And when you put this in the context of Donald Trump basically getting by on nickels and dimes thus far, Mm -hmm. that to me is a substantial change in attitude. And I think he realizes he's got to, he's got to pay to play. Yeah. So he's, he's basically righted the ship. He's also, I'll, I'll give you an analogy. You could appreciate this if ever you've been in a petrochemical plant. You know how, which of course is the dominant part of the Baton Rouge economy. Yeah. You know those signs all around the petrochemical industry saying X number of days since the last accident? Right. In this case with Donald Trump, it is X numbers of days since his last blunder. Right. He actually has been running a fairly tight ship now. In other words, I really can't think of any appreciable blunders that he's done in the last well, he's, he, he slipped in a speech and said 7 11 oh, when yeah. he meant 9 11. But yeah. when you're talking off the cuff like that, I don't even know that he hears himself because his inner monologue is running in concert with the words coming out of his mouth, right? So sometimes that's the risk of overdoing extemporaneous discussion in front of a crowd is you don't catch something you said, and right, I think it, it will happen. So you're right, yeah. But it's been a long time since the blunder. Apparently, there is discussion between he and Megan Kelly about yes. burying the hatchet, as it were, which probably helps him a little bit. I don't know that it makes that big of a deal one way or the other. The optics look good, though. The optics do look good because I think that he was wrong in this. I, and I know that there are people who attacked her, but I'm sorry. When you're running for president, people have, people should ask you legitimately tough questions and questions based upon things that he has said, I think those are legitimate. Right. Attacking her in the way that he did is just schoolyard foolery. It is. And, you know, to me, this is the kind of thing that, yes, Megyn Kelly's been aggressive, but number one, that's her job. Yep. Number two, you know, when Edwin Edwards used to be attacked by press corps, he used to make jokes out of it. That's right. That's what Donald Trump needs to do. Well, Trump doesn't really do that. You're right. <laughs> no. he, he doesn't. If you swing a hammer at him, he shoots an AK-47 at you. Yes. You know, so that's kind of his approach. He talked a lot in the last week to 10 days about the nomination process as it relates to ah, delegate count. You beat me about 30 okay. seconds. All right. So, yeah, and that, that's the thing. Clay and I kind of have this kind of, you know, we're thinking what the other guy's saying and finishing that's each right. other's sentence, right. even when I make smarter remarks. <laughs> but the, the thing that, I, that is important, so we're talking about a largely error-free Trump. Mm-hmm. 7-Eleven, to me, is in the same vein as saying Nevada rather than Nevada. Yeah. Something that the press will make a big deal two about. Two Corinthians. But, yeah, two Corinthians. It That's won't really bad, change. It, it was, <laughs> but it won't. It won't change a ton of votes. No. Again. So you have a largely error-free Trump campaign. He's stepping up his game. He's starting to put more professional political people in charge. But one thing he's starting to do, and again, I'm having to put myself in the perspective of someone who does not intimately follow politics. Mm-hmm. The term he's using against Ted Cruz, which I think is gaining some traction now are the words voterless victory. And what I'm referring to there is Ted Cruz has been on a winning streak the last couple of weeks. Yeah. That winning, however, has been in caucuses and not primaries. Right. And so the perception, whether fair or not, mm-hmm. the perception is that Ted Cruz is stealing the nomination and Donald Trump is taking that perception to a whole new level because he already has the mantra of the mean old RNC is going to take away the nomination from me. They're not treating me fairly, yada, yada, yada. Well, when you have those Ted Cruz victories, which the reality is, and this is where I'll, I'll throw in some political speak, the reality is 
whether you agree with the caucuses or not, those are the rules. Ted Cruz has learned the rules and is taking full advantage of them. Donald Trump has not. Right. Although I think Donald Trump is starting to realize that the bad press from losing Colorado and North Dakota and mm-hmm. Wyoming and so forth, Donald Trump is realizing he needs to have professionals keep track of those things. Yeah. Because I think the, the, the biggest sin that Corey Lewandowski has committed is he's embarrassed Donald Trump. Yes, I agree. Trump is, in many ways, at some cases, embarrassed himself even more than anyone else has because he has been undisciplined. Yes. And off-the-cuff comments aside, which he is not being something he's not. He's always been this guy. Right. Being undisciplined has cost him. You can be a straight shooter as long as you're shooting straight. Right. If you know what I mean. And I think that has hurt him. Uh, going into this, pro- you, I, I don't want to go too far along without asking you the about the impact of Paul Ryan saying, I am not going to be a candidate for president. Right. I think he needed to do that because he ran the risk of looking like the biggest weasel in the last 30 years. Right. If he swoops in without having done any of the trench work yeah. and then becoming a competitor or a contender for the nomination. Right. And quite frankly, I think it this whole Paul Ryan boomlet did a disservice to the party because whether you like the choice of candidates or not, those 17 chose to take the risk yes. and get into the race. The idea of someone like Hubert Humphrey parachuting in at yeah. the last minute without yeah. having one. I never believed for a single moment that that was going to be the case. That to me is one of those kinds of things that someone like a Carl Rove would have mm-hmm. stirred up just to get good press. I, I look, I, I am conflicted on that, John. Okay. I think the possibility... Initially, I didn't really buy it. But when you listen to Ryan's Priebus and you can you can hear the almost passive-aggressive disdain for the way that Trump yes. is making the Republican Party look, you can tell that he's almost saying, dear God, give us somebody other than this guy. I don't know that that was going to be the case. Right. But the evidence that it was a possibility is this. It's been out there for weeks, and only last week did Paul Ryan put it down. Right. He could have put it down when it started, when his name first got to the level of being mentioned on national television and national radio. He could have put out a statement then putting it down. You know how politics works. (laughs) You never kill something until you want it to die. Right. And I think, too, what, what happened, because I've seen this happen with candidates, so they'll get this idea in their head, logical or illogical, yeah. and they'll run with it until you have a consultant, let's say, ran some polls mm-hmm. or started to do the white paper saying, if you really want to run for president, here's what it takes. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, you've missed the filing deadline in 29 states. Those kinds of things, to me, are the reality moment that hits the candidates. But that leads me to the next question about all of this, the yes. convoluted nature of what the the convention would look like mm-hmm. if Trump doesn't reach the 1237 number. Right. Okay. If he doesn't win on the first ballot, then all bets are off. I will mostly agree with you. Okay. This is this is this is the kind of stuff I love having fun about. Sure. You know, because I I'll, I'll nitpick everything you just say. Sure. Everything you say to death in good fun, right? <laughs> okay. Join the club, brother. <laughs> yeah. So here's I'm gonna step back from the data side and I'm gonna get into the psychological side because okay. that is a lot of what's driving yeah. what's going on. From a technical data side, what you're saying about the twelve hundred thirty seven delegates is mm-hmm. absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. 
Let's get to the psychology. And actually, this is going to be the next point I was going to bring up. Okay. We were about to have a couple weeks of favorable primaries for Donald Trump. Yep. More specifically, we have New York. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is sitting above 50%. Yep. And Kasich and Cruz are both fighting for the same anti-Trump vote. Yeah. And the thing is, in the Northeast, Ted Cruz, you have a more moderate electorate. That mm. does not... That is not a favorable elector for Ted Cruz. Yeah. So after New York has voted, and you have to remember, the average voter does not pay attention to the sequencing of the primary calendar. All they know is that some primary occurred and Donald Trump won big, right. which I think will happen tonight. Then we go to next week, April 26. We happen to have a Northeastern contests that are participating, Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. Yeah. Only two states have I seen a significant amount of polling. One is in Pennsylvania and one's in Maryland. In both cases, Donald Trump is sitting in the 40s. And what's happening? Ted Cruz and John Kasich are splitting the rest of the tape. That's right. So I could see a situation next Tuesday where you have the positive, just like Ted Cruz had the positive buzz from Wisconsin to carry him for the last couple of weeks. Now Donald Trump is about to have the positive buzz from New York. The only thing that could interrupt that is a finish substantially below 50%. So Donald Trump's going to get favorable publicity. You know, Donald Trump's back, et cetera, et cetera. He goes to those New England and Northeastern contests next Tuesday, Mm -hmm. has a good night. He gets two weeks of favorable publicity until Indiana votes on May 3rd. So in other words, Donald Trump is going to have – this is his time now. Yeah. Now – Fast for, I'm going to fast forward to June 7th and not give you the exhaustive blow-by-blow blow of the remaining contest because I want to jump straight to your point about the 1,237. I agree with you that if Donald Trump, say, has 1,150 or 1,200 like that, there is the risk of delegates peeling off left and right. There's all the soft delegates. There's actually delegates that are technically uncommitted, even mm-hmm. though it's probably pretty clear they do not have pro-Trump loyalties. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that could trump all that pun partially intended, is that their psychology. So in other words, let's say that Donald Trump, you know, writes the ship and he has a good series of contests. There's two contests left between now and June 7th that, in my opinion, are pivotal. One is Indiana, one's California. California votes on June 7th. If Donald Trump were to win California, the positive psychology from that I think could cause some of those delegates to say, you know, even if I don't like Donald Trump or I don't think he's a true Republican. He wins California. What is that, 55 electoral votes? It's huge. So that's the, that's the, the thing that Trump brings to the table. Digging deeper into the psychological aspect of this, mm-hmm. Ted, Trump, uh, Ted Cruz has high negatives. Yes, Largely on his ability to connect with people. I don't think people see him as authentic. And, you know, that was an interesting little uh, Good Morning American interview yesterday by a Rubio delegate, uh, Luke Letlow. Sure. Great guy, by the way. Um, But anyway, what Luke Letlow said, given that it was broadcast nationally, he was basically asking Ted Cruz about why nobody likes him. Mm -hmm. And the thing is... Ted Cruz parried that parried his response partially effectively. In my opinion, Ted Cruz needs to get the heart of the matter and have one of those ads saying, you know what, I'm not liked because I do what I say in Washington, and in Washington that's considered a liability. If he were to do an ad like that, he would take a negative and turn it to a See, positive. I, I don't know that he can because I think he's too far down the road of looking like he'll say whatever he thinks he needs to say. Right. I don't think the guy – I've I've – I've met dozens 
of people like this in politics <laughs> over the years. Sure. And I think it boils down to them trying to predict what the public wants to see. Right. And then becoming that. Mm-hmm. Uh, being the tough guy when you think you need to, calling Trump a sniveling coward. Who the hell says sniveling yeah. coward? Uh, I, I don't think he knows. I don't think he knows how to effectively play the part of politician. Right. So he is an intellectual. Right. He does have conservative tendencies based upon the way that he votes. Yes. He probably was the awkward kid in the class who didn't say a whole lot, but but outperformed everyone. He got the A pluses in all the school papers. And and I think instead of trying to turn him into the cool kid, you just let him be who he is. Right. If he gets practice being who he is in crowds, mm-hmm. away from cameras, when he's actually interacting with w- real people and not members of his campaign that are going to kiss his behind <laughs> no matter what he does. Yeah. And I think you give him an opportunity to become comfortable in his own skin. Sure. As it relates to giving speeches, I don't think campaigns do enough as it relates to behavioralists. Okay. Asking someone how they feel about something. Sitting with a candidate and asking him or her, here's the issue of whatever. How do you feel about that? Yeah. And, and bludgeoning them when they lapse into political speak. I mean, tearing them to shreds. Give somebody the room to burn your hindquarters when you lapse because you you eventually learn how to articulate your heart. Yes. Now, what makes you different when you do that? Your experience and your knowledge of the process gives you the ability to not only craft how you feel about an issue in real emotion, mm-hmm. but you know how the process works and how you will most likely come up with solutions. Right. It's authenticity. It's the thing that people most associate with Ronald Reagan. Right. He had a quiet, humble authenticity. Trump doesn't know how to do that because he hasn't had to because he's a business guy. And Cruz is trying to play the part of politician. I'm telling you, he's creepy in the role. And he, he likely isn't a creepy guy. Yeah. But he just, he, he can't relate. And I think Hillary Clinton uh, will beat him if he's a nominee. I don't think she beats Trump. Well, you know, this is an interesting point you bring up. I agree with you on this. I definitely agree with you about the part about a politician being authentic. Yeah. My point about Ted Cruz and what I think he needs to do. Sure. Granted, this is the thing that should have been said and done back in January and February. That's also the problem. Yes. But you know as well as I do that what typically happens is these kind of conversions only occur after the consultants realize, hey, we got a problem. They screwed him up. Right. We got this We got this guy, John Kasich, out yeah. here who keeps causing us trouble. Yeah. How do we get ahead of him? That's where Ted Cruz has, you know, the speech, capital T, capital S. In other words, Ted Cruz, you know, with the appropriate cheesy music playing and the kids in the background, the dog running around, that's when he, he's... I still don't think it works. Uh, John, yeah, I'm telling you, yeah. he's, got the, he's got the issue Mitt Romney... Had yes, but what I'm saying is, at some point he has to do it. I agree with you. It may appear to be inauthentic, but, but at what point? Does, here's the thing. Okay, you don't get three strikes. Okay, right. any any gaffe you make 
is indelibly marked on the minds of people. And if it is not, it will be by virtue of Twitter and Facebook and the ca- the cable news nets. Right. Cruz, Cruz's issue is we don't really know who he is. Right. We had eight years of a governor that we will all agree is a brilliant man, mm-hmm. but we never really got to know him. Here's an interesting point, though. I agree with you that it's kind of tough to reorient somebody. Yeah. But Ted Cruz's problem has not been nearly severe as Mitt Romney's problem. In other words, Mitt Romney had a series of really stupid gaffes that he made mm-hmm. between the cheesy grits, between yeah. the you know car elevator, between yeah. the Etch-a-Sketch. Yeah. In other words, almost nothing could have been done to resuscitate But him. I'll tell you why. I, I will give you a great reason why Mitt Romney got so much attention for his gaffes and Cruz has not. Okay. Trump. Well, Trump sure. sucks all of the air out of the room. <laughs> yes. So that's a big thing for him. And when you when these guys are on stage with Trump, to give you an example, when Rubio piv- pivots right. to attacking Trump so late in the game, it got him a lot of coverage on television, but it in effect ran away from the people who were supporting him because he was different than yes. that. And he didn't have enough time to build support among those who would have come to him who enjoyed that. Now on stage, when you fluster Trump, everybody looks bad. Why does everybody look bad? Because you're playing the game that only he's good at. We had a candidate for president on a stage saying, will someone attack me, please? Yeah. Just so I can gain attention. Mm-hmm. I just... Listen, anything's possible, and there are brilliant people earning huge amounts of money who work with these campaigns, and somebody in there has got to have a friggin' clue. Right. So somebody's going to figure it out. But I just, I think his, if he makes it through and gets the nomination, and I don't believe he will, his issue is going to be him and Hillary Clinton, the, un, the, the unsure attitude Republicans have toward him, is that less than the hatred they have toward her? And I want to throw in another dimension that you've neglected to mention but should be. Okay. So everyone's talking about Hillary being the inevitable nominee, and she sure. pretty much is. Sure. But Bernie Sanders is still doing well enough mm-hmm. this late in the game to where I don't think enough Democrats have closed the deal on her. So it, let's, let's, but let's start from the beginning on that side because sure. we've run through the Republican side and, yes. and what's happening there. Let's start – Kind of in a similar way about the Democrats and what's happening there. Right. The the New York primary also, or the New York vote tonight also includes you know what's going to happen between Democrats. Yes. I think we both expect Hillary Clinton to win, maybe not by as large a margin as some said a week or so ago. Right. What about that? So what I'm the thing you have to appreciate. This reminds me a lot of the 2008 Obama and Clinton contest. Now in that race. I could almost predict months in advance who is going to win each primary based on what percentage of union members, blacks, Hispanics, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. in the Democratic electorate. Yeah. To some extent, it has worked that way in these contests, but you've had some curveballs thrown in. For instance, the fact that Bernie Sanders was able to carry Michigan and lose Ohio, and not just lose Ohio, but lose Ohio substantially. Mm-hmm. But then Bernie Sanders almost won Illinois. In other words... There has been a script as to which candidate is strong or weak in each state, but there have been exceptions to the rule. Now, what I think is going to happen in New York, so you're talking about a closed primary. That's one thing that I think is important for your mm-hmm. listeners to appreciate, meaning those independents who voted for Bernie Sanders, 
in prior primaries cannot show they up in won't New York. Be, that's right. And New York has some very, very strict rules. Just to illustrate, in Louisiana, you have to change your party 30 days before an election. Right. In New York, you had to have changed your party back in October. Right. Which, that's that's the whole genesis of why Trump's kids can't vote for him. Right. Is they waited too late, quote-unquote, to change parties. So you're talking about a Democratic electorate that's basically about 50%. About 50% of New Yorkers mm-hmm. are registered Democrats. Right. You figure that, and, and you know what's interesting, there was an article I was reading this morning about the composition of the New York Republican versus Democratic electorate. The article said that something like three-fourths of the New York Democratic electorate is in New York City. Right. So you can have a large black and Hispanic population, mm-hmm. but you have another dynamic here that I think is going to help Bernie Sanders out, and that is being his being from Brooklyn, there is going to be, to some extent, some hometown pride. Right. And he's got the accent, mm-hmm. and he's Jewish, which yes. you, know, you do have a fairly substantial Jewish electorate yes. in New York. That's why Bernie is not going to get shut out, as opposed to if, let's say, Hillary Clinton were running against, I don't know, Martin O'Malley, just to use an example. So Hillary has a hometown advantage, but Bernie can compete for on that, on that same uh, pedestal. To what do you attribute the not only attention... But the movement status of what his campaign has created nationally. You know, what's fascinating to me is it's the movement that won't die. Yeah. Let me give you an illustration of what should be happened if if Hillary Clinton were truly a dominant player right now. Yeah. What would have happened at this stage in the game is that she would have been rolling up 60 and 70 and 80 percent primary victories. Right. The only state where the the, nor, the margins have been that lopsided have been in the Deep South states right. because, of course, those who are likely to vote in a Deep South Democratic primary, chances are the electorate's probably 50% or more black. Mm-hmm. Louisiana, it's 52%. Sure. I never doubted for a second Hillary Clinton was going to Louis- win Louisiana. Nor did I. It was a case of how big was the landslide going to yeah. be. New York, and, and then you can have other Northwest. And, you know, what's fascinating about that little demographic fact I pointed out is when you look at the hit, the Clinton and Sanders spread in some states having primaries today or on April 26. Mm-hmm. So just to use an example, the Real Clear Politics average has Hillary Clinton up 5341 in New York. Hardly a ringing endorsement, in my opinion. We go to Pennsylvania, it's 51 to 38. Pennsylvania is less minority. Yeah. You have, though, the Philadelphia Democratic machine, which is pretty powerful in that part of the state. Then you have a lot of blue-collar union Democrats in western and northeastern Pennsylvania, which mm-hmm. I think I think Sanders will carry. But then you get to Maryland, where Hillary Clinton has a 57-38 lead over Bernie Sanders. What's the big difference between Maryland and Pennsylvania? Well, simple. Maryland, you have an approximately 30% black electorate, which, if you're limiting it to those who registered Democrats— and by the way, Maryland is a closed primary state. That's right. You're talking probably about a 50% black electorate. Almost sounds like the Deep South. Right. <clears throat> you know, she does better in interviews than she does on the stump yes. or in candid camera moments. In interviews, I saw a clip of her with uh, Stephen Colbert, and she seems more authentic yes. than she does when she... She just doesn't... She's got this insincerity thing about her that has followed her everywhere. You know, I think the crux of that problem is when you talk about the the interview, and I think another example of, of where I think she really shone was that time she was being grilled by the Republicans 
on Benghazi, yeah, where she came across really well. The problem is the time that we most often see her is at these campaign rallies, yeah, where she's shrieking, and that, oh my god, that doesn't work well for or her. Or talking like Foghorn Leghorn yeah. at a Black Baptist church in Alabama. That was that was brutal. <laughs> One of my favorite clips ever to listen to, but it was brutal. Yeah, I, I still think she'll get the nomination. He has given a blueprint on how to brush her back off the line because of the issues that they've had. You know, George Clooney gave a fundraiser for her a few days ago, and he talked about how he's only giving this fundraiser to get her an office so he won't have to give fundraisers. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, so uh, he doesn't get most of the criticism that you would expect from a candidate of that age. Right. And he's a socialist. He wants to give everything away. He wants the government to own everything. And you don't hear a lot about his policies and what he stands for. In fact, Trump's plan is the most sound of any of the four of the five major candidates who are still running, but he doesn't know how to articulate that without looking like a berserker on stage. And I think he's trying to dial it back. Let's jump ahead. Okay. okay? Something I know you don't love to do a whole lot, but just, you know, (laughs) that's fun. Let's say, Let's start. Let's jump ahead two clicks. Let's get to the, to the first click. Okay. We get to the convention, the Republican convention. Yes. Trump doesn't win on the first ballot. Right. He doesn't have twelve thirty seven. Right. What do you think? He doesn't get to twelve thirty seven. There's there's two things that'll determine what'll happen. Number one, how close to twelve thirty seven is he? And he no. should be close based upon what will happen over the next few weeks. He'll be close, sir. Right. But if we're talking 1236 close or 1150 close or 1200 close, that's one piece of the puzzle. The other piece of the puzzle is I truly think that what's going to happen on June 7th is going to play a part in the psychology. Because you have to remember, what are the delegates going to be thinking when they go into Cleveland in mid-July? What happened on June 7th? That's right. Now, what I think is important, and this is why I made sure to bring the list of those June 7th primary states. I want to give your listeners an appreciation of what's going to be on the voters' minds after June 7th. Let's do it. So California has a primary. That's the big enchilada. Montana has a primary that's scenery, with mm-hmm. all due respect to the good folks in Montana. New Mexico has a primary, scenery. Mm-hmm. South Dakota, scenery. New Jersey. Oh, how that, you doing? Yeah. That, and you know, what's interesting about New Jersey, I remember years ago, it's, it's a winner take. Oh, and New Jersey is a winner take all state. So here was Gary Hart almost about to dethrone Walter Mondale in 1984. Yeah. yeah. He made a very serious mistake. And he made a wisecrack when he was campaigning in New Jersey about mm-hmm. how great it was that he was campaigning next to a toxic waste dump when he could have been in California. As far as blunders go, that one takes the cake. Yeah. Needless to say, Walter Mondale won New Jersey handily. Mm-hmm. And with it being a winner take all state, that was a very, very bad move. So now, New Jersey. I would expect Trump would probably carry it fairly substantially. Yeah. Especially, the thing too about New Jersey is it's very much a strong organization style of politics that, that takes place there. You think Christie helps him there? Yes. Yeah. See? We haven't seen Chris Christie in a few weeks. He kind of, you, you forget that he was there. <laughs> right. But I think he, he, he will likely help Trump there yeah. a bit. Now let's go to the other side because we're short on time. Yes. Uh Hillary Clinton gets to the the convention. She does have the necessary number. Right. 
but there is a lit of a little bit of restlessness among the Democratic uh, group because of what Bernie bought to the table, right? And people don't necessarily want to see that go away. What do you think? Because that I think is going to be the case, right? He will have to get a prime time speaking yeah, he'll spot. Get his, he'll get his prime right. time spot where he but thunders on and on that, and on. And that's yeah. exactly right. Uh, but what happens? What does she do? Because she will be limping into the end of the general. Mm-hmm. I think what will happen, I could see her picking someone like a Sherrod Brown of Ohio. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why I would predict such a pick. So, number one, he's a politician. You mean he's a running mate? Yeah. Oh. Ah, see, I'm two clicks ahead. Yeah, you're two <laughs> clicks. Go ahead, JC. Okay. So, Sherrod Brown, he brings several things to the table. He's from Ohio. Uh-huh. And so that would be a blockade against the Republicans, presumably. Right. He's, he's from Ohio. He has very strong opinions on trade matters, which yeah. happens to be what Bernie Sanders has been preaching about. Mm-hmm. So he steals Bernie Sanders on that mo- Sanders's mantra on that issue. He also brings blue-collar Democrats to the table. Mm-hmm. He's a politician, so he's not threatening. In other words— 29 which, electoral votes there, I believe. Uh, yeah. I think it's 18. It's, no, it is 18 but there. it's a swing state. 18, Florida is like 28, 29. 29, yeah. And then I think Florida—it's a shame that we know this crap. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trivial pursuit That's of finest, right? right? <laughs> but the thing is, it would—, it would Bernie Sanders would not necessarily bring anything to table, but if you had a Democrat who had very fiery views on trade, right. was acceptable to core Democratic constituencies, he's been in, he's held one form of political office or another in Ohio for three decades. In other words, he's the perfect running mate for Hillary Clinton. So the other side now, Trump gets there. Let's say he he, he likely won't go in with twelve thirty seven, but let's say he's so close that on the first ballot he ends up getting it. Right. He is now going to be the nominee. Mm-hmm. Wow. What happens then? I think he picks someone like Kasich. You'll notice he... See, he has to yes. pick someone like Kasich. And I'm going to... Th- I'm gonna, Just like you would tell me you were reading all the signals about Paul Ryan, yeah. I'm going to throw some signals at you about John Kasich. Yeah. So, he's from a swing state. Right. He is not been attacking Trump. Right. He has... While he's disavowed any vice presidential talk... Yep. I think he realizes that as he, he's, he's above 60 years old, so yep. he probably realizes his days are numbered. Why not cap it off with a VP run? Mm-hmm. Uh, he helps Trump in, in Trump's two weakest areas. Yes. Policy understanding. Yes. He does that. And he is more of a diplomat because he has had to do that than Trump will likely ever be. Yes. The, the only thing that Trump will have to make believable to people is, will he listen? That's the thing. Right. Trump's got to be able to articulate, because here's what, here, here is what is true about him based upon his business history. When you are on his team, he does indeed take your advice if he respects you. Right. That's, that's been the truth. Yes. So if, if this is somebody that he respects enough to listen to, then that's how he makes it believable. And then you want to talk about one hell of a period that'll play out over the back end of the, <laughs> uh, the third quarter and go uh, back into the second quarter and then the third quarter, heading up and through these conventions and then getting into the elections. And in a couple of minutes here, I want to ask uh, one last question to get your, your thoughts on mm-hmm. And oh, Go one one, sure. one thing too, I need to bring up about why I'm I'm kind of laying the markers here for Kasich. Sure. So 
Trump clearly said that, quote unquote, he wants a politician yeah. as his running mate. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> well, he is that. And Kasich was kind of the Paul Ryan before there was a Paul Ryan around because True. he was a relatively young, ambitious Republican. He yeah. he was a, a budget hawk. Yep. He can claim to have been part of the balanced budget agreements of the 90s. In other words, I think he hasn't really gotten his due from conservatives. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is he's running a 1995 campaign. And when he's, when he's going around talking about what he used to do and how he can win elections, the problem is... I think conservatives are tuning him out because they said, you know what? They said that with McCain and with Romney, and now we got this other guy saying he can win. Well, we don't want that. But I do think that Kasich does have appeal. He's inoffensive to everybody. So that's that's why I think he would probably be a strong pick. It'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out. I think he'd be an interesting choice. Or arguably Rubio. Oh. For vice president. Yeah, but... Florida, Hispanic, I, I articulate. I don't know that Trump likes him at all. Maybe not. And that's a, that's a yeah. thing with Trump. Yeah. Uh, you you know Trump doesn't like Cruz. Oh, no. <laughs> and I don't think he liked Rubio. I don't think he disliked Kasich. I think he took his shots in there. I don't think he disliked Carson, even though some of what he said about Dr. Carson earlier this year in yeah. some of the elections was, you know, I just, you know, just I had problems with some of that. Yes. And I think on both sides now, we're going to we're going to hopefully get to a place where we start hearing them talk about real ideas right. and policy. And maybe we'll see what happens. So it sounds like we're going to be doing this again. I tell you what I'd like to do okay. in a couple of weeks or so is talk a little bit about what's happening here statewide. OK. Uh, uh Concerning the governor mm -hmm. and what's happening with the legislature, but we've also got a U.S. Senate race that's going to take place this fall. Yes. And interestingly enough, we could be in the position we were in two years ago where the Louisiana election could have an impact on what happens in the U.S. Senate, although I don't think that seat's going to leave the Republican Party. Probably not, but the thing about the Senate race that I think— you know, there's going to be a lot of churn and burn yeah. because you have a lot of candidates running. Not and these candidates are substantial ones. We're not talking about people who are raising five thousand bucks. Mm -hmm. We're talking about people who potentially are going to be raising money in the millions. The only thing is, when you combine that with two con uh, contested congressional races, there's only so much money to go around in the political marketplace. Yeah, and yeah. so I do think that there are going to be a couple of people who will just realize that the field is too crowded. Well, we'll see what happens. He's always great. Let's tell people how they can follow you or keep up with you. Yes. So I have a Facebook page, JMC Enterprises. I also, uh, on my website, winwithjmc.com, I periodically post about political things, big and small. I also have a Twitter feed where I always like to put little tidbits out there. The Twitter handle is at winwithjmc. Do you tweet pictures of sandwiches? No pictures. Good man. In fact, I have a strict policy when it comes to what goes on the business page for Facebook and Twitter, it's all data. I don't do there sandwiches. I don't do, you know, I went to such and such restaurant or Good went man. to Destin. No, that's, Good man. that's personal. <laughs> Good man. John Cuvion. He's the best, folks. Thanks, JC. It's a pleasure. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. 
Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. All right, a busy one today. You got to hear from Satchmo, the ladies from the Wellness Studio. You got to hear from John Cuvion. And, of course, an update on Smoke em If You Got them, the 2016 edition, Sunday, May 15th at Ben 77 Bistro here in Baton Rouge. And I hope to see you there. Tickets are on sale online right now at chriskylefrogfoundation.org or PatriotsForFreedom.us. The title sponsor is Orion Instruments, and I'm getting pumped about it, as pumped as I was about this show. And we'll catch you next week on The Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Have a great one, y'all. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.